Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. And I'm so thankful. I want that to be true of yours as well. Never mistake the impact that other people have on our lives, including the impact that, that the spiritual leaders have on our lives as what we talk about and what we've been talking about in this series. Now we're in week four, and, we're, and the series is called Shiny Happy People. And if you're brand new to Calvary, you're just tuning in, or you're here in the room for the very first time, and you've missed all these, or you're asleep for every other message, you, you wake up. So if you see them asleep right now, give them a nudge, say, wake up. So here's the thing. We're talking about how Jesus interacted with this group of religious men specifically, and they were very religious, and they had all of the looks of religion on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. If you were to look at them in their context, you would say that they had it all together, that they were the holy ones, they were the righteous ones. You would look at them and say, wow, they were the faithful ones. And yet when Jesus talks to them, you see that there's so much more going on there than what you see on the outside. So Jesus, he speaks very directly to them, and he gives these certain, this, this word he says over and over and over, seven different times in this passage that we're going to be in and eventually, and, and it's this word woe, and it's a word of, of mourning and, and condemning their behavior, and also it's, it's a word of longing that, that they would change, that they would convert from their practices. And my, my desire is that if there's something in you and if there's something in me that needs to be converted away from, from false religious practices, that our hearts would get right with God and that we would be one with Him and that we would be people of integrity, meaning that we would be the same people from on the outside of us as to what's on the inside of us. And yet many times we miss the mark in that regard. Well... You're going to see some things differently today. I welcome you to go into the Bible and to Matthew 23. We're going to be there eventually, I promise. And when we get there, what you're going to see is this. You're going to see that all the verses aren't on the screen. That is not by mistake. That's actually intentional. And I'm the one to blame. Because I want people to get into the Bible and not just to read from screens all the time. I have no problem if you, if you have a hard time reading the Bible. I totally understand that. I'm going to go slow. I'm going to give you time to get into it. But I believe that people, are, people of God need to get themselves into the Bible. They can use their phone or device, absolutely. But I want you to, to learn how to get into the Bible and have some confidence of doing so. So when I do get into that passage, you may thought, well, you always put the verses on the screen. The verses aren't on the screen. Why aren't the verses on the screen? We've already cleared up. I'm the reason why they're not on the screen. And another thing is there are seven, yes, seven Bibles spread throughout the room. It's like a, a Bible Easter egg hunt. So if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one around you. We have more. Literally, there are seven. I'm not even making that up. We counted. And they're spread out evenly amongst a room of 200 people. So I don't even know what that looks like. We have more Bibles on the way. We're going to have Bibles saturating the room for you to read and take home if you don't have a Bible. We have those forthcoming. They, I think, have already been ordered. They're on their way. So I love you, but I also want you to read the Bible. Amen. All right, good. All right, so let me, let me jump into today, and I'm going to set up this, where we're going to be in the passage with this illustration. Illustration I've never used before. It absolutely could be a flop, and if it's a flop, 
Tell me it was great, all right? So uh, my ego can't take anything worse. I'm just kidding. So what, what you have up here, and I actually have a picture. There you go. You have the picture up there. This is, this is what I have in front of me, a beautifully, beautifully cooked steak. I mean, it is amazing. Earlier, just before the towel went over it, um, I, could just, like, I could just smell the steak. And just here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on this little, this little journey with me. Um, we all, you do this at dinner every night, right? It doesn't matter. Macaroni and cheese, this is what you do. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Just imagine, if you would, that you went to a restaurant, and you were going to have a steak dinner, and it was like an amazing steak dinner. You paid a ton of money for this steak dinner, and you sit down for this steak dinner, and you ordered it. How, how do you like your steak? Somebody tell me out loud. All right. All across the board, medium rare. Somebody said bleeding. Somebody said still on the farm. I don't even know what that means. Well, let's, talk, let's talk about it. I don't know. Nobody said that, but, you know, so we all like it in different ways. Imagine the steak is, is your way, and, and this looks amazing. There's a, a potato there that looks really good. It's, it's kind of plain, but I like it like that. I don't have to have all the stuff on it. I've got a little pecan pie over here. Amen for pecan pie. <laughs> Amen. I'll go Pentecostal here in a minute. I love pecan pie. <laughs> love it. Love it. So here's the thing. Imagine that the, the roles are reversed, and you've got a steak dinner in front of you, and it looks amazing. You ordered it. You looked at the menu. The, the dollar amount wasn't an issue. It's exactly what you wanted, and it comes to the table, and you're so excited. And just in that moment, somebody says to you, hey, I know you ordered a steak, but but would you rather have a hot dog? I mean, this is not an all-beef patty. It's not that. This, is a, this, is, this has got beak and hoof and pork and veal and beef and chicken. Did I miss anything else? It's that kind of hot dog. So it's not some highfalutin, like, ballpark dog. This is, like, bottom of the, bottom of the barrel. You know, it's like a dollar for 12 or whatever, however they come. It's like, it's that. It's like I'm hungry and I'm poor. That's what this is. I get, I get it. I've been there. And, and if you had the option for a steak dinner and then somebody comes up to you just as you're just, you're just about to cut into that steak, and, and, you know, they've already asked you and said, hey, do you want A1? And you're like, if I got the steak that I wanted, I shouldn't cover this thing up with A1, right? I shouldn't need A1. But that's my own perspective. But the person comes up just before I'm about to break into the steak, and they say, what about a hot dog? Would you rather have that? And then you pick it up, and you're like, oh. You guys can talk among yourselves. I'm going to enjoy this hot dog for a minute. Hmm. I don't know what that was, but it didn't. I think it's got some extras in there, too. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know. But I would say this. Nobody in the right mind, if you ordered a steak which would, we would all pretty much agree that that's a greater meal. And then if somebody were to give you something that was a lesser meal by way of a hot dog, none of us would just say, oh, that's fine. You can just throw the steak away. I'd just rather eat this hot dog that cost me the equivalent of 10 cents. Can we all agree with that? We all agree, I think we all would agree, 
that there's some perspective here that's off, that if something's greater, it should be of higher value than the thing that's lesser. Nothing wrong with the hot dog if you want to have a hot dog. Throw it on the grill, put some grill marks on it, cook it the way you want to. That's awesome. I'm not hating on hot dogs. However, there's a difference between a hot dog and a steak. Can we say amen to that? There's a difference. What we're going to see today in the Bible is these two different principles. Really, it's four different principles, but Jesus elevates three big ideas together, and then there's something else they're doing in replace, and and what they're doing is they're replacing something that is of minor value, but they're elevating it as if it's a major value, and this is what it says in Matthew 23, 23 and 24, as we continue with our woes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. There's that word again, you hypocrites. You actors. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Well, what are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So again, Jesus has some not-so-kind words to the Pharisees. Maybe it is kind, and it's just direct. But what Jesus is, is pointing out to them, there's three different things that they have distorted in their practice of their faith. And the first thing is they have a distorted purpose. The purpose by which they are conveying their message, and we see this over and over and over. Jesus used this word hypocrite, and hypocrite is synonymous for Pharisees and teachers of the law. I got a little hot dog here. Let me take care of this in just a second. I'm good now. Almost came out. Put it back down. It's good. It's, it's, hopefully it stays there. If not, it's over. I'm going to lose you, guaranteed. They have a distorted purpose. Notice here, again, Jesus, he, he calls them, after he says, woe to you, teachers of the law, he says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. And then he continues on in verse 24. Just to say exactly who they are, he calls them what? Right at the beginning of verse 24, he says, you blind, what's the next word? Guides. You blind guides. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law do not have a a vision for the kingdom of God. They do not have a vision for the kingdom of God. Which is why Jesus calls them blind guides. Being blind in this regard as being a blind guide means that their absence to the light. The people of God always have been people who are supposed to be light into the darkness, whether it's the nation of Israel or Christians even here today. We are all to be light into dark places. This is something that we have in common with the nation of Israel, with the Old Testament believers, and with us today. Those who live by faith without, without, just without receiving the promise that we've received. We have this in common with them. I've specifically picked out passages from the Old Testament Passages that the Pharisees would have known. Passages that speak into, it's like the deeper cut of what's going on with the Pharisees. Not things that Jesus necessarily made reference to in this passage, but scriptures that the Pharisees would know and the teachers of the law would know. Because they knew the Old Testament inside and out. 
They not only knew the, the Old Testament law, but they also knew the, the other writings that they attached to apply to the law. They held all of them in the same regard, which is where they went wrong, because that's where the rules came in. Because there was the law, as the law that we have it in the Old Testament today, but there was also all these other things that they tacked on. And all of these other Jewish writings, those are the things that were changing and changing and changing, and they were trying to hold people to a standard that they themselves could not live up to. Why is that? Because they were blind guides. They were blind to the vision of the kingdom of God. Isaiah 51, 4 and 5 says this, Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. Notice that Jesus, he, he is talking to the Pharisees, and he tells them specifically that, yes, they're, they're tithing, and they're tithing to a degree that it wasn't even required, but Jesus was saying that you are neglecting what? The three different things in the passage, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You see, light is associated with justice because this passage that we just read together, listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation, the law will go out from me, my justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. This isn't on the screen, but about 10 chapters later in Isaiah, it's actually nine chapters later, excuse me. Isaiah in chapter 60, verse 1 through 3 Isaiah says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over all the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Jesus would borrow from the same idea about the nations being a light, the, the nations being the people of God and the people of God having a vision for the kingdom of God. And Jesus would, would jump on this and add to it. In Luke 8, verse 16, and he, Jesus said this, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar and puts it under the bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who can come in can see the light. You see, the kingdom of God has a lot of things when we're people of the kingdom of God. And I have just a, a, like a lot welling up in me because I'm going to talk at length about this actually in the next series. But the kingdom of God is always this. It's always this. It's never less than this, but it can be more than this. It's always about being just, and it's about justice. It's about mercy, and it's about faithfulness. Always. Always. The people of God should be the most just people on planet earth. We should not be waiting for another people group to claim to do certain things while we sit idly by and don't do anything. While we sit in holy huddles and sing spiritual songs and come together in church services and let somebody else do what the church is supposed to do. We should be people of justice. Even to the point of getting into uncomfortable places. Because the reason why we're there is not for our comfort. The reason why we're there is shining the light of Jesus Christ. 
Because there are people who are broken and lost and they need the hope of the gospel. That's why we do what we do. Not to fill our seats and not to fill our rooms, but to fill heaven with lost people. People found. Kingdom of God is about mercy and it's about faithfulness. The second bit of distortion you see with the Pharisees is this, and the teachers of the law, they had distorted priorities. They had distorted priorities. So adding into the distortion of purpose, you look at their priorities. Verse 23, again, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They have exchanged something that is lesser or something that is greater for something that is lesser. The tithe that is mentioned here is a custom that is very much biblical. It's still biblical today. We should give a tenth. People of God should, at bare minimum, should give a 10% of their earnings back to the, to the local church, and then so the local church can be the glowing, radiant church that it is, and that we can continue to spread the gospel. And we, as being people of God, even beyond the tithe, we could go into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we could say not only are we just limited to the 10, but also we should be people who are generous, which means we don't just do the bare minimum, that we are willing to, to exceed the bare minimum for the glory of God and the good of the world. So, so tithe is the minimum for Christians. Tithe isn't a problem here. It isn't the fact that they're tithing. That, that isn't the problem. Because that's important too. But what Jesus is saying is they're actually putting, they're all into the tithe aspect, but they're neglecting the other three. They're neglecting justice and they're neglecting mercy and they're neglecting faithfulness, but they're tithing. And notice this, they're tithing to be seen. The three things that it talks about in this passage are what? Somebody read them to me. In the passage, the three different things they're tithing. Somebody help me. I've forgotten. Not really, but help me. There you go. Mint, dill, and cumin. These three ingredients are, somebody could tithe on those if they wanted to, but they aren't considered income. In their culture, those would be the types of things that would be grown in a kitchen windowsill. There wasn't an expectation that somebody would be tithing on those things. But the Pharisees, they were doing it to be seen, which is why Jesus calls them hypocrites and he calls them blind guides. They were doing it to be seen, not because it would glorify God, but because it would glorify themselves. Their priorities were off. So, sure, they were, they were willing to go to this great extent and say, oh, my goodness, and they wanted, they wanted to, to tithe down to the herb. In preparing for this, I, I was just imagining all my illustrations have to do with food and drink today. Sorry, they just do. I figure we're all going to do that today at some point, so I'm just going all in. That's all my illustrations, food and drink. So, and Jesus did, too, so I'm just following him. So take it up with him. But we around our house, we love enchiladas. Or as they're, as they're known to around our house, uh, from, from our daughter, she couldn't say the word enchiladas. She said enchiladas. So inevitably, anytime we hear the word in the house enchiladas, we actually say enchiladas. That's just, 
So maybe you should do that too. And Gracie is the one to blame or thank for that, however you see that. But, but enchiladas, enchiladas. So say you were going to make enchiladas and, and you were going to take the line of the Pharisees and you were going to go through and, and you were going to make enchiladas or enchiladas all by yourself. Not, not from a can, not from like some banquet meal. I don't even know if they have such a thing, whatever, uh, whatever brand. But it's like you were going to make it all by yourself. You would need these spices and more, but you would need some Mexican cilantro. I did my research. It's not the same thing as Italian cilantro. It's not. Or Mexican oregano, excuse me. Not the same thing as, as Italian oregano. So you would need some Mexican oregano. You would also need some cilantro. You would need some, maybe some coriander. And then you'd also be able to use some cumin. If you're going to do this, and if you were to take the letter of the law like the Pharisees, then you would go through and you would be, you'd be looking at your recipe, and I'm going to make some enchiladas, enchiladas, however you say it. Like, I'm going to make them, and I'm, I'm so excited. And you want to take the, just the letter of the law, like the Pharisees. You'd take your, your Mexican oregano and be like, a leaf for Jesus, some leaves for us. Um, oh, here's the, here's the cumin. Oh, it's dry, just the way it needs to be. One for Jesus couple for me. Oh, oh, no, no, that one goes to Jesus too, taking it out. You get that, and it seems a little ridiculous. I hope you all enjoy enchiladas as much as I do. Um, you see, that, that just fits because that's, it seems a little bit absurd because we just don't practice that, and that because the reason why that is not practiced is because that wasn't even the mainstay of their culture. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was condemning them for, for tithing on cumin, mint, and dill. It was the fact that their hearts were not right. And their hearts were not right. They were neglecting things that were more important than going the extra and tithing the extra. That was the big deal. Adding to this, a prophecy about Jesus from Matthew 11, I told you I was going to use several references, ones that the Pharisees would know. And this will be familiar to some. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 says this. By the way, if you were fortunate enough to have uh, one of those Bibles around you on the Bible Easter egg hunt for the day, um, if you look at the, where it says page, that's actually the page number in the Bible that's around your seat. So if you're not that comfortable with reading the Bible, we're going to have these things too on the screen so you can become more familiar with the Bible too. So we're thinking about you. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Verse 5 and the final verse. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. 
This being a prophecy about Jesus about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, even recognized outside of the Bible, recognized that Isaiah uh, was a historical figure. So even if you're not in the faith, there's a historical perspective here. And he's talking specifically about Jesus. He says in verse 1, he identifies Jesus in a very unique way. And I just want to bring this out to you. In verse 1, he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, as some of you well, no, Jesse is David's father. David, as in King David. Jesse is David's father. This is drawing a line between what is known as the Davidic covenant in the Old Testament and seeing it being fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. So this is connecting to Jesus. And it says about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and of power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Notice what it says next. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. In other words, there's an element that Jesus is bring about justice or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And in verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of what he's calling the Pharisees to be. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of what he's calling the teachers of the law and the Pharisees to be. That there was never a level of righteousness before Jesus. There was never someone so just as, as Jesus being the Son of God. There's no one who's been as faithful as Jesus has shown to be faithful from the old into the new. Going a little bit deeper in this idea of justice, Proverbs 21.3 says this, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. I've had a big challenge as I've been preparing for this message today, and my challenge has been this. The challenge is, and it's, just, it's really birthed out of a question or maybe a series of questions. I wonder... If we actually, to, to somebody who's not in the faith, I wonder what people outside of the faith actually think of us in the faith. I wonder, I wonder really what they would think of us, meaning uh, just from what they can see on the outside. But also the words that we say. Every word that we say comes out of our heart. It speaks of what's going on inside of us. I wonder if, if by looking at, at just the metrics of our life and the metric of our life of looking and to say, okay, are we a merciful people like Jesus is merciful? Are we a faithful people like, like Jesus is faithful? Are we people who are actually those who are inclined to justice like Jesus is inclined to justice? Are, are we actually these things or are we just a parody When we were at Calvary before, before the Lord called us to, to the deep south, to Florida and then to Georgia, 
there was something that was happening around, around not just this church, but around like Christian culture. And it was like this upheaval of Christian culture. And, and with it, it was, it was a really an odd thing because at the same time, Christian culture is forming and it seemed like whatever the secular example was, there was also a Christian example. So it's like there's, you know, there's rock music that maybe some of us grew up with, maybe still listen to. And then there was like, now there's Christian rock. Well, there's, there's country music and Western music, apparently, country and Western for some. And there's Christian country and Western music and, and so on and so forth, where there's, there's always like a Christian version of, the, of a secular thing. And that's not altogether bad. But when we do those things and there's something actually about our character that's different than what we look on the outside then that, I think, is when it, we cross lines. So I have four different images. Some of them are, are maybe going to be funny. Some of them may be telling on you, because perhaps you had one of these. I don't know. I'm not trying to do that. I actually had one of these. That's the reason why I'm doing it. But I just want to share the first one. Th- this will look familiar. Um, th- have you guys, have you ever drank spirit before? Anyone? How is it? Sparkling, clear drink, great mouthfeel, little lemon-lime zest, right? Of course, this is what? Sprite, it is. It's a knockoff of that. Here's, and this, these were all on T-shirts, by the way. The next one is, you're going to recognize this. Some of you love Reese's, right? Some of you had that shirt. I'm just saying, some of you did. Um, here's another one. Hopefully, you didn't have this shirt. There you go. Probably can figure out what that one was. I'm just saying, if you wear that to church, you're probably going to get some counseling. Whether or not you like it, you're probably going to. Probably not making the best decision in the world, right? The next one is actually the one that I had. It was very close to this. This was a knockoff of, there you go, Abercrombie and Fitz. Did you have one too? Yeah. I did. I had one like this, and it was red, and it was. I loved it, and I would wear it all the time, and I thought, man... Everybody's going to know I'm a Christian because I have a knockoff, ripoff of a secular company's shirt, but I just slapped a verse on there and a source, and everybody's going to look at me and say, wow, he must be a Christian because he has a bad taste in shirts. <laughs> I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, but you know, I share these, these images with this question in mind. I wonder if people outside of the faith actually look at us and think that we just have a parody of a life. That it's just a parody. It's not even, it's not even real. It's like a caricature. It's like a cheap ripoff. It's like we can look the one way on in one hand. We can, look, we can do all that and we can think we've got it all figured out. And yet we can be absolutely be in the wrong in another area. We can be so concerned with the way that we look to other people and miss the most important things just like the Pharisees did. We can listen to all the same, all the, the right music, whatever you think that means. We can have the right shirts. We can have the right hats. We can go to the right concerts. We can tithe. We can attend church. We can be in life group. You can come to the men's shoot. You can come to the ladies' events. You can come to every single event that we have when these doors are swinging open. You can come in, and your heart can still be off. 
your life can still be fraudulent. You and I still can be hypocrites and be acting the part because we blend in instead of being the part. And to be the part, as Jesus would say in the original passage in Matthew 23, is to do what? Is to be people of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And if we're not living that out, then in some way we're no better than the Pharisee. We're just a modern rendition of the same thing. Oh, church, I want us to get this right. I don't want us to be just so happy with having a Christian subculture to make sure that we've thrown all of our secular CDs away and we've, we've thrown all that other secular stuff out because we think we're holy when we do all that stuff and miss the most important thing. Oh, I don't want us to be those people. Those people are shiny, happy people. They look a certain way on the outside, but their hearts reveal the truth about them. I don't want us to be people who get it wrong. The Pharisees, they believed that the people's uncleanness was stronger than their holiness. So they stayed away from messy people. They avoided those type of people. They had all these laws and all of this this little, little, little religious bubble around them to keep people away, to make sure that they were not approachable to other people. And yet today we should be the most approachable people on planet earth. We should be the type of people that anyone should feel like that they can come and talk to us, ask us a question, cry on our shoulder, get encouragement, get words of advice, anything. We should be those kind of people who are known by being people of mercy. That we're not going to be people of judgment, that instead we're going to be people of mercy. To say, you know what, I'm not, I don't know that I'm always going to hear what I want them to to say, like when they say, I don't know if I'm always going to want to hear that, but yet I respect them because I know that when, when they said those words, by the way they said it, I knew they loved me. I didn't agree every, with everything. They made some decisions that I'm not going to make for my own life. But they love me. And the way that their love for me shows is they're merciful towards me. They don't have their finger in my face telling me everything I've ever done wrong. They love me enough to talk to me, to speak to me, to smile to me, to be a neighbor to me. That's what Jesus did. Micah 6.8, continuing the same idea. says this, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what the Lord requires. The bottom line for today's talk, if you're filling in blanks on your info card, is this. Faithfulness to God means that we are to give to God what is His due. As mercy and justice mean to do to people in all circumstances 
what is right toward them. I fast forward a little bit, Lydia, so you'll have to find that. Faithfulness to God means that we are to give to God what is His due. As mercy and justice mean to do to people in all circumstances what is right toward them. Last thing is they had a distorted practice. After the tithing, it seems like there's this kind of weird connection there with gnats and camels. Anybody else think that's weird? If we lived in the ancient Near East, it probably wouldn't be as weird because they have camels there and stuff. When Jesus used these two different things to illustrate a point, he chose gnats, which was the smallest thing that would be known to make one of the Pharisees unclean or to make one of the Jews unclean. So he chose a gnat that would be so small and insignificant that would still make them unclean. And he also chose the largest animal in their culture. So he's comparing these two different extremes, the smallest to the largest in their culture. And and it says straining out a gnat. They were wine drinkers in that culture. And when they would drink wine, it it was common that that there would be, it's kind of gross if you do a deep dive on it, so I'm going to spare you some of the details, but there was some like little larva things that would grow in the wine and then, and then eventually it would turn into like a little gnat. So it was common in their culture. So the Pharisees teaches the law to remain clean. When they would have their wine, they would, they would pour their wine over a series of strainers or like filtering the water to make sure, or excuse me, the wine to make sure. And they would just continually do that because they didn't want to... That they didn't want to swallow the gnat because if they swallowed the gnat, they'd be considered unclean and then they couldn't go through the religious practices. So, to even go beyond all of that, they also would drink the wine through their teeth. Again, it's weird because we drink through straws in this culture, pretty much. So, they would. They would drink through their teeth, and that their, their teeth would be the last line of defense to keep the gnats. Uh, keep them away from swallowing the gnats. Praise God, we're in a developed culture that we don't have to worry about that. But they did. Jesus is, is speaking to them specifically about this by using these two extremes. He's saying, you are majoring on the minors. And you're missing the mark. Even the very practice of them straining everything they drink just to keep themselves from a gnat. And Jesus says, you've been working so hard to strain strain the wine and strain yourself from being unclean and impure. And he says, and you have done all of this, and yet you, it, it's like you've swallowed a camel. It's like this so, such a small and insignificant thing, but you're actually blind to the greater thing. That was a distorted practice. Because they were neglecting the three great things that Jesus elevates. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, the Pharisees, they kept their distance from people for fear of being ceremonially unclean. 
They tithed, but they neglected the messier work, the messier work of ministry. And we're here today because Jesus wasn't willing to do that. Because Jesus was in heaven in a place of eternal bliss and perfection and glory and more pure than what we've ever experienced here on earth. And that he left heaven and he came down in the most humiliating, humble of ways in the form of a baby to a mother that wasn't married. Born outside, next to animals, in a nowhere town, in a long lost land from here. Took up the job as a, as a craftsman. Don't know exactly what he did. Most likely it wasn't just working with wood like we would maybe think as being a carpenter. They don't have a plentiful supply of wood and things weren't built with wood in their culture. So some people think maybe he was like a stone cutter. Hard work. Humble work. Blue collar work. And this is how Jesus came to earth and this is what Jesus did and then he's the one still doing this and still carrying the line and then willing to speak the truth to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, knowing all of this, knowing that just a couple of days later, he would die on the cross. Literally, a couple days later, just a few days. That he would do that because Jesus wanted to be near you. He wanted to be near you. He already knew you, he already loved you, but he wanted to be near you. And he wanted your heart to be near him. Oh God, help it, help us all to understand the, the love of Jesus for you and me. The love of Jesus that compels us not to just come and sit and listen and sing, but, but to share that love with others to share the faithfulness of God with others, to share the mercy of God with others, to share of the, the justice of God with others, to share the, the righteousness of, of Christ with others. Because it's in those moments that we actually become light in the darkness. Would you stand? Holy Spirit, help us. I know there's somebody in this room right now, they feel found out because they've been majoring on the minors. They've been looking the part on the outside, but on the inside, they know that they're just not where they should be, not who they should be. The Word of God said is, it's the, the kindness, it's your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. God, what are you stirring us to do right now? Who are you stirring us to be right now? If we're to be a church for God, for the city, for the nations, we need your light, Jesus. 
the light that's, that's illuminated when someone gives their life to you. They recognize that they have imperfection, that they're a sinner, that there's nothing they can do within their own power to save themselves. That's where it begins. And they recognize that darkness within themselves, and then they ask you, Jesus, to, to save them. They identify you with words and with belief that, Jesus, that you are God, that you resurrected from the dead. And that through your death and resurrection, God, you're calling us to die to ourselves and live unto you. And we need so much grace to do that. We need so much mercy to do that. We need so much of your faithfulness to do that. And God, we will never be the, the, the just people without your faithfulness and your righteousness shining through. So God, we're desperate. We're desperate for a renewal of the Holy Spirit. We're desperate for revival from the Holy Spirit. We're desperate for reconciliation to be to be had in the church. We're desperate, God, to not just be people who play church, but who actually live out the kingdom of God. So Jesus, do what it is that you want to do. If there's somebody who needs to come forward to get saved, God, give them the courage and, and faith and bravery to be able to do it. If there's somebody who's just wronged their neighbor and they're harboring bitterness in their heart, God, give them the courage to come forward and just to admit it to you. There's just something special when people come forward to publicly declare what you're doing inside their heart. Jesus, you do what only you can do.